baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. We got Kill Me coming up tomorrow on the show, and the Kill Me Christmas event is essentially almost sold out. I mean, I think we have like 30 tickets remaining. If we um, right. we can go a little over 300, we have more than 300 sold right now. So jump on board if you want to be there on Friday, December 1st. I can't even believe it's a week from this Friday. I know. Dinner at 6 p.m. to 7 by Andre's Catering. We're going to be out in uh, Eureka, Brookdale Farms, Silo Point. You're going to have a chance to meet and greet. Brian will be there. I'll have a copy of his book, Teddy and Booker T. We'll um, get you some fine, fine adult beverages as well. I'm told premium Open bar, that's always a good thing. Tickets are $110 per person. That is not holding anyone back from buying these tickets, and we're going to have a lot of fun. I still haven't quite figured out how I'm going to come up with a a suit and a tie for that night. Not sure if it fits. Only have one. I think I wore it last when I saw Brian last year. the same thing you said last year, and it fit fine. Yeah, but I can wear the same one, I guess. No one's going to really care, right? No, I'm going to wear the same one. Okay, good. Just making sure. We'll all just sit together. Not everyone can be fancy television personalities like Scott Jennings and have all kinds of suits and ties and stuff like that to sit around on the CNN set with, right? Do you have, like, a big uh, room dedicated to your ties, Jennings? That's what I'm envisioning. Yeah, I have all the ties, all the suits. Many people are saying it's the most ties any pundit has. (laughs) When I worked in Milwaukee at WTMJ Radio, we had WTMJ Television, and the anchors there, and they do this every, I don't know if it'd be every year, every two years, but they take all their ties and they put them in one of the dressing rooms and say, okay, these are up for grabs. And he, and now this was back in the day when they had a wardrobe budget, if you will, right? Yeah. No, they don't, they don't pay, they don't pay for my, believe me, there's no, there's no budget for that for me. <laughs> so I'm responsible for my own. So I'm still wearing some ties I've had since college. I think they look quite nice. Quite nice on TV. Nothing wrong with that, especially during Bidenomics. All right, before we get to some of the uh, politics, we got to lead with baseball here because apparently the goal of the Cardinals right now is to get every former pitcher that used to be on the team signed up for next year. Maybe even Carlos Martinez, Jennings. What do you think? Uh, Well, A, I haven't heard Carlos Martinez. Is that? No, that's Fred just kind of tossing that in his humor. (laughs) I stole his line. I thought it would be effective here. I thought it was funny. But no, I guess Lance Lynn's coming back. Lance Lynn. They're talking about Michael Waka, right? Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, Waka, Waka had his moments last. I mean, he was pretty good. I, you know, he just didn't end well. I, I'm very interested in Lance Lynn. I love Lance Lynn. He's exactly the kind of pitcher that I like to see start a baseball game. He's going to get some swings and misses. I, I, I love this signing. I think it's oh, amazing. Okay, wow. All right. I mean, he's 37. He's yeah. uh, gave up a bunch of home runs. That doesn't bother you, though. You're okay with Look, that. Look, I like middle-aged Husky <laughs> It's like right up my alley, buddy. Like it's just, I mean, he's, he's speaking my language. I understand. He likes to eat. I like to eat. All right. Great. Common ground there. And then how about Danny uh, Descalso coming back to be bench coach? See? Lots yeah, of pretty good. Cards. Great. Yeah, he'll get a big ovation on uh, on opening day. Everybody loves to see uh, see guys like that come back. Pretty good. I, look, if we if we do Lynn and then we sign Sonny Gray, which I read is a possibility maybe, right. so uh, second in the AL Cy Young. I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty good. You know, that's a pretty good upgrade. We still got more more to sign, but that's a good start. In my All right. Opinion. Well, you're keeping it positive. I like that. Uh, let's talk some politics. I, I thought this was just funny. We don't necessarily need to focus on Nikki Haley, but at a Nikki Haley event today, 
um, she noticed that a kid was wearing one of her hats. I love your hat. <laughs> Thank you. One of your guys gave it to me for free. <laughs> I just love that. Yeah, one of your guys gave it to me. That's why I'm wearing it. And that's a political, uh, that's what happens in politics, Scott. But here we are two weeks removed from the latest debate and election day. I don't even think we kind of talked on, uh, in the aftermath of that. Maybe we did because the craziness is uh, affecting my my memory. But I saw Haley again on Fox today talking about some issues and she's surging in Iowa and maybe a little bit out east. But again, the question becomes, does it even matter at this point? Yeah, well, she's hoping to catch up with and pass Ron DeSantis in Iowa late. Not that she can overtake Trump, because I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, if you surprise and come in second, you kind of use that as a bit of a slingshot into New Hampshire and you hope maybe you get Chris Christie to drop out. The real question is, it, are there enough Republicans to pull this off? I mean, you know, she's she is a pre-Trump politician. And it's just a, a great question is, are there enough Republicans who want to go back to pre-Trump politicians or do they want the party to be run by Trump in the Trump era? And I think I know the answer to that. I think it's Trump. But that's what she's trying to pull off here, taking advantage of DeSantis sliding a bit, although I don't think he's done in Iowa. I think he's got an infrastructure and He's got Kim Reynolds, the governor. He's got some things going on there, too. And so I don't think he's going to fade away and give Haley kind of the the lift she needs out of Iowa. I wouldn't expect that either. But again, I think I'd ask the same question to both of them. So what? Who cares who wins Iowa? Right. Can, Can you can anything happen after Iowa for either of those candidates? I think the odds are against them at this point. Well, I, I mean, look, if one of them were to miraculously sneak up on and overtake Trump in Iowa, I think it would change everything, actually. I, I think it would change the narrative. It, you know, it's like uh, Trump, you know, we caused Trump to bleed. No one thought that it was possible. It would it would change some things. And then New Hampshire is not the best state for Trump. And so it's really right out of the gate if you were to somehow beat him in Iowa. I just think the odds of this are so long. And I think Trump's – it's the thing about Trump right now. In the primary, in the general, his people are his people, and they ain't changing and that's a problem for Haley and DeSantis, but really it's a problem for Joe Biden because if you look at the two parties' bases right now, Trump's got solid sediment underneath him, and Joe Biden does not. And that, that, that really is what floats Donald Trump. His people do not move. So what do you make of the, uh, of the Joe Manchin situation? Does that, does that have an effect? Does he run as an independent? Will it matter? Yes, I do think these—well, I don't know if he's going to run. I think all these third parties, if they can get ballot access— are a huge problem for Joe Biden. If you look at the polling, you can see they mostly hurt Biden. Uh, And, you know, people don't really want this rematch. But Trump's people are more dedicated to Trump. And Biden's people, some of them are not, they're just not interested in this campaign. A lot of them are young. Uh, So I I think if you throw Cornell West and, you know, some no-labels thing on the ballot and you throw uh, RFK on the ballot, I mean, I I don't think they're going to win any states. But these these close states are divided by like 10, 12,000 votes. Are there 10 or 12,000 third party votes in Wisconsin or Georgia? You bet. You bet there are. And I, I think it's a real problem, mostly for Biden. Truthfully. So you, you sit on that CNN set quite often with David Axelrod. He's been kind of going after the president about his age. Here's Bill Maher on that topic. Do I think Joe Biden can do the job? Absolutely. Yes. I don't think he can win the job. And that's what I care about. He's going to lose because the people think he's too old. And perception is reality. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I think there's a little bit more to it than that. We've never had a president who's 81. Doesn't mean he can't do it. I'm just saying I like the guy. But I'm just saying if Joe Biden was a balcony, 
I wouldn't step out on him for a smoke. All right, there you go. That kind of sums it up right there. Now, I think there are a lot of us uh, outside of Bill Maher that are concerned whether he can do the job and not just win the job, but they're worried a little bit on that side. Axelrod's a guy, obviously, that's very close to his former boss, Barack Obama. What do you make of all that, and will it even mean anything in the long run anyway? Well, it's, it's the most important issue in the campaign. I mean, it's, it is the thing people are worried about the most. It, it's not, and, it's, and it's not an issue you could solve by passing a bill or coming up with a new message. Uh, Father Time is undefeated, and, and you know, we're still a year away. I was just on CNN right before we hopped on with you, and that was the topic was Donald Trump released a letter from his doctor today about how you know, in, in good health he is. And, and <laughs> the anchor, Pam Brown, fellow Kentuckian, asked me, she said, why are voters – concerned about biden's age but not trump's and i said well because they have eyes and ears i yeah, mean they can see joe right. biden they hear joe biden and they see donald trump and i know it's just a couple of years but the difference is night and day and everyone knows it and it's not just republicans democrats democrats see it and i agree with axe he said biden has at best a 50 50 chance it's probably a little worse than that certainly no better than that and i think every democrat knows it and they really don't know how to get themselves out of it do you think there's ever I'm just asking seriously, because I don't know how these things work. But is there ever a scenario where President Obama picks up the phone and says, hey, we need to talk? Or do they have a serious discussion on that? Or is that just something that's off the table completely? It's hard for me to believe that. I mean, Biden has to know this. I mean, the administration knows it. His campaign people know that this is hanging over them. So are there people like the former president who can have a tough conversation or does that not happen at this level? I think there's only one person that can tell Joe Biden not Jill. to run, and it's Jill Biden. I mean, it, to me, when you're the president of the United States, you are going to be the nominee of your party if you want to be, no matter who calls you, no matter what the polls say. And so at some juncture, it just becomes a very personal family conversation. I don't think they've had that, and it sounds like if they did, it's full speed ahead. And I think Joe Biden believes he's the only person who can defeat Donald Trump. I'm not sure that's true. If you look at the NBC poll this weekend, generic Democrat handily defeated Trump and generic Republican handily defeated Joe Biden. So if Trump if you accept that Trump's going to be the Republican nominee, sounds like generic Democrat would do fine (laughs) against against Donald Trump. But, But the thing is, Biden truly believes he's the only one who can do it. These guys are magnets for each other, and it's hard to pull magnets apart. So, Jennings, I haven't spoken with you um, either on or off the air about what happened in Kentucky. I want your take. You helped Daniel Cameron in his campaign. Abortion was certainly at the, the forefront of that race, but you also were you know, facing a very popular incumbent in Bashir. So how do you break that one down, Mr. Kentucky? Yeah, pretty simple. Uh, um, Daniel Cameron was outspent by $20 million by an incumbent governor. We've only lost two incumbent governors in the last four years in this country, and Andy Bashir had a high job approval. That's absolutely true. I think abortion played some role. They spent a lot of money attacking Cameron over that, specifically on the issues of the exceptions of rape and incest. And Kentucky state law does not include those exceptions. Cameron had defended the state law. Bashir assailed him over this. And it did become an issue in the race. I don't think it was definitive in that Cameron was going to win, if not but for that. But I think it I think it did put a bit of an anvil on his head and, and the weight of the message. I mean, Bashir had so much money. But the simplest explanation, honestly, is we're living in a pro-incumbent world right now. Incumbents are winning governor and Senate race all over the country. The guy had all the money anybody could spend and then some. And that's what happened. Republicans won every other office, including clients that I had for attorney general and for agriculture commissioner. They had no trouble 
but incumbent governors right now, the COVID governors especially, they're, they're pretty tough to beat. So, you know, your 20 million figure really jumps out. And if you look at the races across the country, and I think this is pretty much even outside of a couple of Tuesdays ago, Democrats are outspending Republicans in a lot of these big states. you got Mike Johnson, who comes in as speaker. He does not have a lot of fundraising experience. you got former speakers that have gone out to members of Congress district, helped them raise money. Doesn't that have to be a big concern heading into next year, the inability it, well, to either raise money or to spend it properly in the Republican Party? Well, the fundraising is a huge issue. I mean, if you go back the last few cycles, Democrats are now the party of all the money. And, and you asked about the abortion issue. That issue motivates their donors, and they have people all over the country who are willing to give to campaigns and party organizations all over the country when issue uh, when the abortion issue is at play. And so, if you look at Bashir's fundraising, he was getting tons of money from California and other places. I can I guarantee you, they're not worried about economic development in Louisville. They're no, worried about no. abortion. Yeah. And and so, if you look at the Senate landscape next year. With Joe Manchin out, that's an automatic pickup. So we're at 50-50. Republicans need to beat an incumbent in either Ohio or Montana. Sounds easy, right? I'm bullish on it, but i got to tell you, they're going to have all the money they need. Those Democrats will not lack for fundraising. And even though I think uh, the Republicans are going to win those in the presidential race, I'm, I'm again, I'm bullish. I think Republicans will take the Senate, but that abortion money, the spigot's on. And there's no sign of it ever turning off, and it's only getting stronger every day. So I, I do think the money is flowing for them principally over that issue. Okay, but on the issue itself into next year, I mean, all these races are going to be different. Look, we got Cori Bush that might be challenged in a significant way because of her position on Israel right now. But does the abortion issue in particular sway the presidential election potentially? It I mean, does. In Missouri, we're going to have a ballot issue. It's going to pass, but Josh Hawley's still going to be reelected, right? It will matter in some places more than others. For Democrats, it's a twofold issue. It is a get-out-the-vote message. Like, if you're lukewarm on Joe Biden, you don't really care, he's too old, whatever, they will try to motivate you with the issue of abortion. And it's a motivator for donors. So it's a, it's a two-edged thing for them. And I also think the Democrats think there's a cadre, a cohort of moderate, you know, sort of center-right Republicans, college-educated, you know, white-collar, hanging around the suburbs, not love Trump anyway – that they're probably a little more moderate on abortion than their rural uh, colleagues in the Republican Party out there. So I, I think the Democrats think to try to change the conversation, like we don't want to talk about the economy. We don't want to talk about national security or immigration or anything else Joe Biden has failed on. We want to paint the Republicans as extremists on this. I don't personally think it's going to be enough to save him, but but there is some evidence that it is a it is a motivator for their voters and their donors. So I don't think you can discount the possibility that it plays a major factor in the election. So I opened up the show talking about this New York Times story over the weekend about learning loss. And I've really kind of hammered on that issue for the past couple of years. Many of us, Scott, yourself included, knew that some of this was going to get real bad when they were locking down schools and claiming that, you know, just having a teacher teach their kids you were killing granny. But is that ever going to get discussed on a national level. I don't even know what federal politicians can do about that. I'm curious. I don't even know if you've talked about this on CNN. It's one of the biggest issues facing the country, and nobody seems to want to talk about it. If you go on YouTube and search for Scott Jennings and Randy Weingarten, you will see oh, yeah. live video of me uh, confronting the head of the teachers union about this very topic. I will say in the Kentucky governor's race, it was one of Cameron's top issues, talked about learning loss and also the chronic absenteeism epidemic that we have following COVID in this country. It was a big part of his campaign. He didn't have the money to drive the messages the way Bashir did. But, you know, Bashir was the governor who shut down schools for two years, and he did get reelected. And so 
I'm a little afraid that yeah. the issue has gone stale, but I have to tell you the results have not gone stale. In fact, we're going to be dealing with the results of those decisions Long time. for the next generation. I mean, my kids are going to deal with and we're still dealing with it in the Jennings household, and every household is dealing with it to some degree. And digging out of that hole has not been easy for a lot of people in this country. And I just uh, I don't know what the political – I don't know if anyone's ever going to be held accountable enough for the damage that was done, because I'm not sure there's enough political punishment uh, for the people who caused it, because it was an unmitigated disaster, and we knew it at the time, We did, and we let it happen, and our kids are never going to forgive us for yeah. it. Well, you, you should. I would highly recommend to the audience Google what, what you suggested, because we featured that at the time, and we had, John, when you went at it with Randy Weingarten. Listen, try to get it all behind you and at least enjoy Thanksgiving with the family. Maybe you'll have a couple more Cardinals nuggets before Thursday in the turkey, but Jennings, have a great Thanksgiving. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. See you, buddy. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Mention uh, ticket sales for our Kill Me Christmas going exceptionally well. We just have a handful left. Brian will be on the show tomorrow afternoon on 97.1 FM Talk. We kind of have a weird week because we're here for a couple of days, and then Thursday, Friday, we're going to run some best of shows. I do know that George Gray from The Price is Right will be with us doing the legendary game show, arguably more popular than The Price is Right, certainly on this radio station, called The Price is Wrong, Mark. And we'll do that, have a little fun with George. He's in town to see his mom, Mama May, in from Hollywood. So that's coming up on Wednesday afternoon as we take you into the holiday. I am no geopolitical expert. I I certainly care about these issues, but I always kind of defer to um, people much smarter than I when it comes to the, the big global issues, which really doesn't take a whole lot of effort on my part because most people are in that category. But I did see a story, and, you know, the Ukraine-Russia war is off of the radar because of everything happening with Israel and Hamas. But there was a piece that I saw last week with the headline, It's Time to End Magical Thinking About Russia's Defeat. And it's written by Eugene Rumer, who's a former national intelligence officer for Russia at the National Intelligence Council. He um, runs a program at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. I guess he worked in both the Bush and Clinton administrations. But I thought we'd go to one of our experts, heritage scholar Jim Carafano, talking about this and seeing if he agrees with this. Jim, how are you? Welcome back. Good to have you back on the show. Chili Christmas and police, firemen, boxing matches. Dude, I want to be in St. Louis. This is really not fair. I know. Why I don't like I'm that? You know, I've never been to that event. Fun. That Wednesday night event is really a lot of fun. Sue Thomas, have you ever been to that Guns and Hoses? I haven't, and yeah. I should. I've heard it's fantastic, but yeah, that's that's a lot of fun, and for a great cause, raising a ton of money this week here at Enterprise Center. How are you otherwise? So I'm great. So uh, you know, weirdly enough, Gene is an old friend of like 20 years, um, and I ha- and and a guy who knows Russia really really well. So I have enormous respect for him. Having said that, I kind of, I absolutely, <laughs> you don't agree, almost 100% disagree with, with, you know, and we hear a lot of this because I was actually just in um, Turkey and Morocco, a lot of discussion about what's going on in Europe, and, and I was in Europe a couple of weeks before that. So, you know, and there, there, you hear both narratives, but, I, you know, I was in the military for 25 years, and everybody can have their own narrative. But there's only one set of facts on the ground. And 
Putin's goal was the conquest of all of Ukraine. And, and, and it was not just about Ukraine. Having conquered Ukraine, that was going to put all of NATO essentially at his feet with, with people feeling, oh, my God, we really can't stop these guys. We have to cut deals, give them whatever he wants, disband NATO or whatever. That failed. The Ukrainians have reconquered 80% of their ever tor- uh, territory. They have a functioning government. They have actually the most combat tested and right now one of the most powerful armies in Europe. They have decimated so much of the Russian conventional force that their estimates are between its five and ten years before Russia, if they, if they diverted everything to ever build back to the level of military they had now, the, the ability of Russia to threaten a free and independent Ukraine is zero. So they, they really united NATO. They've triggered a, a defense rebuilding in, in NATO. They doubled the front against NATO because Finland and, and we, we still think Sweden will get in NATO. So I, you can say this is a Putin's victory because he hasn't lost and he's still fighting, but, but it's not. I mean, those are just the facts on the ground. But there's no way, I, I think, the Russians are ever going to have the combat forces to go back on, on the offensive and recapture the territory they lost, let alone threaten the, the independence of Ukraine. Okay, but then what, what does the end game look like? And here's one thing that caught my attention in Gene's piece. He said, the sanctions and the exports, I want your opinion on this, Jim. Sanctions and export controls have impeded Putin's war effort far less, he says, than expected. Russians' defense factories are ramping up in their output, and Soviet legacy factories are outperforming Western factories when it comes to much-needed items like artillery shells. So is he, is he wrong about that, do you think, or is there something to that? Well, I, look, I mean, the sanctions... Make they increase the opportunity, they increase the cost of Russia doing business. That's true. The, the notion that sanctions are to stop the Russian war machine or stop the Russians from making money that was unrealistic because they were never going to be perfectly enforced and they're not perfectly enforced. But what it has caused is an increasing percentage of Russian economy, and this is what they don't talk about, that has to be shifted from the public sector to the military to sustain that. And, yeah, it's true. They're, they're drafting more people into the military. They're going to put more people in uniform. Um, they're going to have field more artillery. But the reality is, is the Russian military still isn't really capable of using. That's not a usable military to actually take back ground from the Ukrainians. The Russians have been trying to go on offense for months. And what happens is these relatively untrained columns of Russians attack the Ukrainians and they all die. So, I mean, Russia's really fighting a war of attrition and which is actually more attrition on the Russians than the Ukrainians. You know, my, my argument to the Ukrainians would be go over on the strategic defenses. And if the Russians want to keep attacking you, just, just keep killing them because, you know, when you're on the defense, you don't put near as many of your people and, and, and stuff at risk. So, the, the answer to the question, I think we know the answer to the question, which you understand is which it, it ends in a frozen conflict, which is it looks something like, you know, uh, Germany did in 1945 or Korea did in 53 or even Israel did after the 67 war. And, and then people say, well, those are not conclusive 
one way or the other, and they led to long protruded confrontation. And my answer is, you know, wake up. That's the world we live yeah, in. Right. There's a lot of protracted frozen conflicts. And if the choice is between a conquered country and, and threatening the entire stability of NATO uh, and a frozen conflict, then I, I think the frozen conflict is a better answer because it allows you, you know, to live and fight another day. The idea that and this is my point is, look, even if the Ukrainians could reconquer all of Ukrainian territory, that wouldn't necessarily be an end of the war because th- that frontier is no more defensible than where they are now. So I don't think it's really about where the line ends. I think it's a question of when the fighting wears down. I, I personally, the way I would describe this is Putin has already lost, but only Putin can decide when the fighting stops. It's just so hard to get a handle. And I'd say this about Gaza, too. It's, it's just almost impossible to get a handle on. Um, maybe I'd use this analogy. When, when you have a natural disaster, you could use Maui as an example. I mean, the island of Maui is quite large. The area of Lahaina that was destroyed by those terrible fires is, is very small. And, you know, the, the image that people have is, well, this, this is everywhere in Hawaii. The whole thing is burned up. Things happen with hurricanes, too. In Ukraine, let me apply this to Ukraine. Are there cities that have been conquered by the Russians that have like an economy they have people living in them right now what is that like for the ukrainian people right now well the answer is no and of course that's the flip side of the problem which every ounce of territory the ukrainians reconquer they have to reconstruct and rehabilitate yeah and this stuff's been flattened and destroyed so actually you know if in some ways and and defend it so in some ways, it, it's more difficult for the Ukrainians every time they win because that's another village they have to rebuild and reconstruct that's been decimated and destroyed, and, and it's another village that they have to defend. The, you know, the things to me as a military guy that are, that are really interesting, like the primary thing that the Russians have is Crimea because they've got all these military interbases and all. All that stuff is now in the range of Ukrainian weapons. So essentially, Crimea is no longer a useful military power projection platform for the Russians. Um, you, you, you've probably seen these stories about all the ships that have been attacked and sunk in the Russian fleet. So the Russian fleet can't even operate independently in the Black Sea anymore, which is one of, the, one of their great strengths for, for years and decades. So look, um, I, I, you hear this thing, you know, we don't like forever wars, you know, but the reality is, is there are lots of frozen conflicts and, and people say, oh, the cost of this and everything else is, Okay, what, but you don't consider the alternative costs. You know, what if, what if all of Ukraine was conquered and we had another 10, 15, 20 million refugees pouring in the Western and Western Europe and, and Ukraine was defeated and Russia was at uh, NATO's doorstep? I mean, what would the cost of rearming and defending them? And we know the flip side, too, is, look, if, if Ukraine gets crushed, you know, it's, the United States is not going to step in and send, you know, hundreds of thousands of troops like we did, you know, in the in World after the uh, end of World War II for the Cold War, we, we don't have that to send. And what will happen is everybody will start cutting deals with the Russians and the Chinese and we'll be worse off. So honestly, to me, a stalemate's not, you know, this is the, you, when you see movies and you read books about war, you think it's like a baseball game or a football game. There's winners and losers. And then there's at the end of the game, we know who won and who lost. The reality is, is in, in a lot of complicated foreign policy stuff, you know, the, the, the solution that you might want is never the one that's achievable. Yeah. And, and you, you, the art of real strategy 
is getting to something that is suitable, that serves your goals, is feasible, can be done, and is acceptable, and you're willing to do it. For, the, for me, a Ukraine that's free and independent, even if it doesn't control all its territory, that has stopped the Russians and can be sustained. And, and people, this is, the, you have to look at the long term here. It's like, you know, you buy stock alone and you hope to sell high. Today, we're putting money into Ukraine for Ukraine's defense, but the U- Ukrainians are building a very substantial defense industry. And at the end, that industry is not, probably not only going to be sufficient for the Ukrainians to defend themselves, but they're going to be one of the key contributors to de- develop, developing arms to rearm the rest of Europe. By the way, Lloyd Austin today announced another $100 million in aid that is going to Ukraine. Now, this is an unfair question, but I'm going to ask you to do it in like under two minutes. I don't, I don't, you can do it, Carafano. Just I want to apply some of this to what's happening with Gaza and Israel. Just get your thoughts on where is that actual war right now? I mean, is there a pause? Will there be a pause? I hear the Chinese are getting involved here with some talks. Um, where are we heading in that conflict right now? Yeah, the whole Chinese thing is a joke. Everybody knows the Chinese have no influence, and that's not serious. It's just Chinese PR. Um, and, and, and naturally, some ways for those countries to pressure the Americans to do more, because like, oh, if you don't do more, the Chinese won't. We know that's not going to happen. Um, look, I mean, it, it, here, here's my, my quick assessment. I mean, they, they started, the Iranians triggered this whole thing, and they did with a lot of options, including expanding and blowing up the war. They now, they now see that's probably not, the be- that's not the outcome they really, really want. So instead, they took a $10 billion payoff from Joe Biden to get paid off not to expand the war, which they probably wouldn't have done anyway, because it doesn't look like it wouldn't be successful. So they took $10, $10 billion for nothing. And then, and then Biden thinks, oh, I got the Iranians to, to back off when he just gave him money for free. The, the, uh, the, the, it'll probably grind down to um, uh, a stalemate. Um, we'll see how much and that'll end in a hostage exchange. So if this hostage exchange is successful, that'll probably slow things down. And then there'll probably be another one to close things out. Yeah, it doesn't sound like in either of these situations, things are going to get much better very quickly. That's for sure. Jim Carafano, no. hopefully yep. you, can, you can take a little break and enjoy Thanksgiving this week. Oh, we lost him. I did not want it on the record that I did not hang up on Carafano. That was I that. that. That's that international sound for, oops, we lost the signal. It was good timing. We're back with an audio cut of the day. You know, this was the day that the uh, the turkeys got pardoned, Sue. Oh, it's an annual that's tradition. Right. I always thought it had been better. You know, and I was a little disappointed in uh, President Trump because if President Trump was really President Trump, he would have, you know, gotten to this week before Thanksgiving. He wouldn't have pardoned those stupid turkeys. He would have just... He had to beheaded them right there on the White House lawn, but he never did that. He, he kind of went along with the pardoning. Well, That's what he's Biden. Trying to go along. I know it's tradition, right? I hereby pardon Liberty Ann Bell. All right, congratulations, birds. Congratulations. By the way, that that does sound like here. I'm going birds. to. I'm going to give you a homework assignment for Sue's news. Can okay. I do that? Yeah, please do. That the whole tradition of the turkey pardoning. Can we get into that maybe on Sue's news? Yeah, we Sounds can. Sounds like a bit of a random fact, or maybe an turkey explainer. Turkey pardoning. I'm going in. I mean, they've been doing it probably for. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, did we'll it start with out. Eisenhower? Did it start with Truman? Did it start with you know Mr. Bill Clinton? All right, Sue's got her homework assignment. All right, we'll, gotcha. uh, we'll see where that takes us. Uh, I have an audio cut of the day, but before I get to that, there was, I, c- I can kind of roll this, in. well, I'll just roll it into audio cut of the day. We'll just kind of cheat here and we'll do, uh, sometimes I do a daily double, so we'll do that. Stand by. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. 
The first tier is, and I can give you a little flavor if you um, if you want to know what her music is like. Do you know who Cardi B is? Oh, I know Cardi B mainly yes. from like she does some. Um, she did a collaboration with like Maroon Five. I thought the song was pretty, but this is Cardi B. These expensive, these is red bottoms, these is blood. I- I'm guessing this is one of the songs that we can actually play on the air, and you're going to find language that doesn't fit. But I bring it up because Cardi B has had it with this talk from Eric Adams in New York City cutting on the police budget while catering to all the illegals. In New York, there is a $120 million budget cut. There's a $120 million budget cut in New York that is going to affect schools, public libraries, and um, the police department. And a $5 million budget cut in sanitation. Of a budget cut in sanitation. We're going to be drowning with rats. We're going to be drowning in Rats. Yep. I'm not endorsing no presidents no more. Cause how is that a hundred hundred million dollar budget cut in New York City? Yeah, Joe Biden is talking about like yeah, we could fund two wars. A hundred and twenty million dollar cut. Like where 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 these kids are gonna go? Like I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I'm blessed. But like what ha- what's gonna happen to my nieces? What's gonna happen to my my nephews? I'm I'm from the Bronx. Yeah. I don't want to see my Affected. Yeah, she's she's asking good questions there, Cardi B is, right? And that when when we had uh, who the heck did we have this afternoon that threw out that number? It was Michael Goodwin from the New York Post. He said that the uh, the budget for the city of New York is like $120 billion. For, That's twice as much as the state of Missouri. Jeez Louise. So there's no there's nowhere else you could cut spending in New York other than <laughs> oh, of libraries not. and cops. That's the only place you should cut, right? Then there's this from the weekend. I, I, I'm just going to offer this without comment. Well, who am I kidding? I'm going to comment. But this is a guy who is a congressman from Iowa. Mike Sexton is his name. He was up there for a rally from President Trump over the weekend. The Iowa caucuses are coming up. And, and I don't know why he did this, but he did this. One of my great heroes... The great Jedi Master himself, Master Yoda. <clears throat> the dark side is very powerful in Biden. Crooked is he. What? Your country, he does not care. The force is strong in Trump. When he must, help him you can. Caucus for him you shall. For without his victory, all hope is lost. Huh. Ladies and gentlemen, God bless you. There he is, Mike Sexton. He's a United States congressman, and he decided to do that. Um, he was trying to do this, of course. Do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> um, Mark Hamill responded. Oh, did you hear that? No, what did he say? His, now, that his tweet, tw- tweet. See, I was trying to combine X and, and tweet, and it was twit. I gotcha. <clears throat> He said the cringe is strong with this one. And I don't think he was handicapping that one inaccurately. Oh my. Let's go, Chiefs. We'll see if they can get a victory tonight against Philadelphia. Soon we'll talk tomorrow. You got we'll it. We'll see you. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.